0: We're in this series that we're calling Once Upon a Time, where Jesus tells stories to remove the religiosity that we often do in life that blinds us from actually doing what God calls us to do. All those little things that we build up and put around ourselves that sometimes we make sound very religious that are excuses to not live like Christ called us to. C.S. Lewis, I was sharing this with the staff this week in a book of his that I read called On Stories. C.S. Lewis, who was a masterful storyteller, led to Christ by a man by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien that you know from The Lord of the Rings, and just, I think, put this together for me so succinctly. He said, as a child, and most of you know that, because we've talked about Lewis a lot here before, As a child and a young man, he became an atheist. And he said, I always wondered why religion put me off. He said, religion made me cold towards Jesus. Religion made me hard towards the things of the gospel. And he says that the power of a story is what opened his heart. Tolkien, masterful storyteller that he was, helped him to see the gospel. He said, I never set out to write fairy tales To communicate the gospel he said but the gospel got a hold of my heart and therefore I began to write the images and the stories that came to mind and that's why so many of my stories have the gospel in them not that I ever tried to write them like that he said because I never tried to write down to children he says if it's not worth reading as an adult it's not worth reading as a child and I read that, I thought, how many adults still love to read the Chronicles of Narnia? How many of you have read those books, or you know, the, see what I'm saying? It's just, we love those stories. Well, Jesus told stories to remove that religiosity. So I want to read you one of his stories this morning. Last week we talked about his story of compassion in the Good Samaritan, but this story I'm calling The Back People. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone, and he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip, and the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Well, after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used the money, his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver, and I've earned two more. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Notice there's no difference. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Would you read that with me? To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. You may wonder sometimes why I ask you to read because when you hear yourself read it, it gets deeper into your spirit. Your body actually vibrates with the sound of your own voice, your eardrum. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So let's read that one more time. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, you told us this story to help us to be ready. You told us this story to help us prepare for your coming and your return. And so this morning I ask you that would you help us to take the long view, Lord? Would you help us to play our long game this morning? And God, would you rip away through the power of a story those things that tend to blind us and make us sit idly by Lord, when life's precious seconds are ticking away. I ask you this morning that you would also let the joy of our salvation be so real in our hearts that whatever we do, we do it enthusiastically. We do it, Lord, energetically. And we do it because we love you and we love one another. So now I ask, would you help each of us to hear what you're saying specifically to us as individuals, but also as a small group, as a family, as a married couple, as a church. And Lord, for those of us with community responsibilities to be able to speak into our communities as well. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Again, I'm so glad you're here. Well, in Matthew 24, for those of you that have read that story and or read that chapter, you know that the disciples come out and they ask Jesus, tell us what the signs of your return are going to be. And so Jesus takes in this powerful and this very moving chapter of Matthew, he teaches one of the most famous lessons about the return of the Lord and what the signs will be like. And oftentimes I hear people zeroing in on the signs when the issue of this chapter is not so much about the signs, but it's about how we live our lives. So immediately when Jesus finishes this, he tells them stories. He tells them another story, the story of the five wise virgins and the story of the five foolish virgins, or you know it as the ten virgins. He tells us the story of the goats and the sheep and how that the goats and the sheep will be separated at the end of the time. And wedged between those two stories is this story this morning, the story of the talents. And the purpose of these stories is to prepare us for the return of the Lord. The purpose of these stories is to help us be ready when Jesus comes back. Because when Jesus comes back, he died for us as our Savior. He rose again, having conquered death, hell, and the grave. But when he comes back, he will come back to give for us to give an accounting to him for how we've used our lives. It's kind of like preparing for a final exam. I don't know if you remember, but I remember those final exams. I remember one of my professors pulling me aside and says, Dennis, if you will spend time in the library every day, if you will follow through on all of these assignments that I give you, when the time of your final comes, you will be able to go to bed and sleep, but your classmates are all going to be up, and they're going to be cramming at the last minute. Well, how many of you know that what you sow in your freshman year, that shall your senior GPA reap? (laughs) Okay, And I remember my freshman year, I was my first time away from home. There was so much to do and so many things to do. And all through that freshman year, I kept hearing that professor's voice in the back of my mind. If you go to your class, if you'll go to college, if you'll go to the library, if you'll prepare a little bit every night, you will go to sleep. And I will never forget... Four guys that are still my friends today, we were all crammed in a dorm room, and we were remembering what our professor said. We were eating instant coffee in order to stay awake. Not drinking it. We were eating it out of this by the spoonfuls to stay awake. And we crammed for that final exam. I remember nothing about that class except I managed to pull a B out of that class when I should have aced that class and when I should have had a good night's rest. And I have to tell you, I learned my lesson from that. And there's no sense in trying to cram at the end of life. Jesus is coming. I'm excited about that, and I want to live ready for his return. Can you say amen? Amen. And so rather than cramming, Jesus tells us the story so that we live prepared. The first thing I want you to see is that all of us are bad people. God has given all of us something, some treasure, some talent, something that we can do for him. I was doing an outreach in Atlanta back when we still lived in Georgia, and we would go to Little Five Points, which those of you that used to watch Matlock, when you saw the backing away in the tower, that's where Matlock was filmed at, was at Little Five Points. But I became friends with a man who lived carrying two bags who gave up his job. He didn't have a family and he moved onto the streets in order to help people and he lived like these people did that lived under buildings in abandoned buildings in Atlanta, Georgia. He lived on the streets in order to minister to them. My college that I went to later asked me to fly down to Miami, Florida and to preach for an outreach they were doing because Miami has a huge street population. And there I met a doctor and I sat with a doctor inside of this huge box that he lived in. He had gone through some difficulties in life, lost his family, and he gave up his life that he once knew of comfort and affluence, and he committed his life to Christ, and he lived on the streets taking care of, of street people with problems and mental health problems and physical issues and getting them to the hospital, and that was his ministry living in a box. Now, that's not my calling, and that's not your calling, or you wouldn't be here today, but out of that, I took some lessons from those two men who had given up their lives to live on the streets. And it's that all of us are back people. All of us are carrying something in life that God has given to us. Some of us minister out of brokenness. Some of us minister out of abundance. Some of us minister out of a place that we were given a good home growing up and we've taken what God has given us and we've tried to use it to the best of our abilities for the glory of God. Every one of us come from a different aspect and different phase in life. Children who grow up in homes where they've been abused or neglected or abandoned, they grow up with something that those of you who are raising your children to know God, they will minister totally different, but God will take all of us with the bags that we carry and God will use whatever pain or ever hurt or failures or frustrations we've had in our lives, God will take that and use it for His glory and honor if we will allow Him. And so that's an important point that I want you to get in this story because each of these men receives something different from God. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 14, he called together his servants. We we are his servants. We are his children. We belong to him by right of creatorship. We do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. And God entrusted his, or the, the master entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Everything that I have, my wife, my life, my children, my marriage, my home, everything I have, God has given to me, He's given to you. The next thing I want you to see in verse 15 is He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. And you might say, Pastor, that's not fair. Why did some get five? Why did some get two? And why did some get only one? That's just not fair. How many of you know life is not fair? Right? Life is not fair. There are some people that are multi-talented and multi-gifted. There are very few Leonardo da Vinci's, there are very few Michelangelo's, there are very few Steve Jobs, there are very few uber, uber successful people. But life is not fair. The point of the story is not who got five, not who got two, not who got one. The point of the story is, look at this next phrase, is he divided it in proportion to their abilities. God gives you what he created you and shaped you for, and then he left on his trip. And the purpose of the story was for Jesus to follow up on Matthew 24, saying, look, You've asked me when I'm returning, but you need to know my returning, it also comes with a consequence that when I come, what I have given you, what I have taught you, what I have left you with, I want to see what you do with that. So what I'd like you to take out of this is God has given me my resources. Would you write that down? God has given me my resources. He's given it to me to use. And here's the cool thing. God has loaned it to me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 that each of us have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to us. Each of us have a different gift. Each of us. Bill has a different gift than mine. Andy has a different gift than mine. Rich, you have a different gift than mine. Each of us have something different to use to bless one another with. But all of us in America have freedom. Now think about that for just a moment. If you live in the United States, if you live in Canada, or if you live in Europe, you are light years ahead of the rest of the world. The freedom to work where you want to work at, the freedom to marry whom you want to marry. I go into a lot of cultures. a matter of fact, I have a friend here in Detroit. His wife and her and, and him, they didn't pick each other. Their parents picked each other. He established his career here. He had to fly back home and marry the woman his parents picked. I said, you've never met her before? He says, nope. He said, we had one week to get to know each other's family. We got married, and then we flew back to the United States. I am so glad I got to pick Becky. Okay I am so glad I got to pick. I am so glad I got to pick my career. I'm so glad I got to answer the call of God because it's so much of history. People did the jobs that their parents told them they were going to do, and if their parents didn't have enough money to employ them in their business, then they indentured them out to somebody else to work for them. I, I am so glad that I have the freedom to live for. I want to live. If I want to live in California, I can go to California, if I want to live in Argentina. I can go to Argentina. I have the freedom because I live in America. Understand, we are light years ahead of the rest of the world, but you have a freedom that many people in even parts of Europe don't have today. You have the freedom to worship God publicly and privately just as you choose. And if there's one freedom that the enemy would like to rob for the United States, it's our freedom of worship. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? And God is going to hold us as Americans particularly responsible for the freedom that we have in this life. But here's the thing. You can't identify, you can't use your gifts until you identify those gifts and develop them. I have a friend, good friend, lives in South Georgia. He is a geologist and he's also a surveyor. And his job for his life has been going throughout the United States and He surveys properties for timber companies and oil companies. And I remember one time we were having dinner at Bynum's Diner in Valdosta, Georgia. And he told me something that I've never forgotten. It shaped my whole life. He said, Dennis, it's amazing how many companies went in and discovered natural resources on somebody's property they didn't know was there. They discovered oil, or they discovered coal, or they discovered gas deposits, and they would come in and buy at the cheapest price, or they would find somebody that was so in debt, they discover their debt, and they would come in and offer to pay off their debt and give them a little bit extra to get started with, and then they would buy that land and they would make millions of dollars off of that land. He named some companies for me, people that I knew. He said, this is what their ancestors did, and this is how they got that property. I want you to understand something. You have talents, you have resources, you have gifts that you are not aware of, and that is why it is so important that you get through our discipleship classes, discovering what Woodland is about so that you can participate in the life of Woodland because it's about much more than Sunday morning. Discovering spiritual maturity so that you learn to grow in Christ. There is more to Christianity than what most people live. And then discovering your spiritual gifts or your ministry, and let us do a spiritual gifts inventory with you in a personality inventory that shows you how you relate to others and others relate to you. And then you identify those gifts that God has given you and you develop them and you dedicate them to God and then God uses you to display his glory through. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? So I think what Jesus is saying here is that your life is an investment, so dream big and make it count. Your life is an investment. Dream big and make it count because God expects me, when I read this parable, when I read this story, God expects me to make the most out of what he's given to me. He doesn't force me. He doesn't make me feel guilty if I don't. He just reminds me there's gonna be a final. That professor never said another word to me about the final until the end of the year. And I will never forget When he called me in, asked me to come to his class, he laid my exam in front of me. We got our scores on a wall that we had to go look at. I still remember my student ID number. He laid my exam on his desk in front of me, and he says, you got to be, but this is unacceptable. You were capable of acing this class. And he chewed me out. Not only did he chew me out, he told me I had sinned against God I had sinned against him, I had sinned against the people I was going to minister to in the future, and he said, my suggestion is that you take this class all over again and you do it with the right attitude and the right heart. And I just started crying and blubbering because I felt like the worst of all sinners at that time as an 18-year-old college freshman. And I just learned a lesson from my life is, friends, there are some people that skate by, they are some people that float by, but God expects us to give him the very best of our life. It's not fun floating, it's not fun just slipping by in life. The real joy in life comes when you give it everything you've got. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. That's where the joy comes from. I watch these students that Mark works with in fine arts, and I watched as two of our young men recently, as they got up here and they played their saxophones, and I just kind of shook my head and wonder. I remember when they first started playing, it hurt to sit here and listen to them. It hurt to sit here and listen to them. But when they stood up here on this stage and they performed and they played and then they went to fine arts and they played at the state and people were clapping and talking about how talented they were, I wanted to say, we all deserve a medal because we had to listen to them when they were young. (laughs) And the people that listened to me when I first started preaching, they all are gonna have a great big crown in heaven because all of us have to start somewhere. The point is, is that we use and develop what God has given us. You can blow your life if you want to, or you can do something great and wonderful with your life. After a long time, Matthew 25, 19, after a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they'd used his money. And the servant, the servant that had received five bags of silver began to invest it and earned five more. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Today is April 15th. Normally, this is income tax day, right? However, I don't fear an audit by the IRS. I have a great tax accountant. Her name is Becky. (laughs) I have a great tax lady. I'm always impressed with people that I meet in the community who come up to me and says, your wife does my taxes. I've never had a problem. And I just, Becky's brilliant with that sort of thing. I'm not afraid of an IRS audit. And if I did get audited, I'm not afraid of that either because we've got reams of stuff that Becky just keeps packed away and when this year we'll get rid of some more because the time's expired to keep them. But she covers all of that. I'm so grateful for how she helps there. But here's the point. I'm not worried about an IRS audit, but there comes a day when God is going to audit my life. And the problem is, I don't have the records. He has the records. The problem is, I can't say to Becky, Becky, would you go get this record for God because you know it's time for my audit. God is gonna say, oh, there's no need. I've got all the records right here. I've got every word you spoke in private. I've got every thought you thought in private. I've got every deed that you've done. I've got that class where you skated around and you sit around, do you know how dumb it was for you to sit there and eat Maxwell House instant coffee at 18 years old and somehow or another think that was glorifying me? Believe me, the four of us, we still talk about that when we get together at general counsel. Isn't it amazing how much power your professors have over you later in life? The point I'm making to you here is that each of us are going to give an accounting to God. The servant who received five bags, and I wish that this was a sunny day and more people were here today, because what I'd like to say, it doesn't matter. If you're a young person, Jimmy, What you start preparing for today is what you're going to be doing 10 years from now where you start at today. What you're doing today, Addison, is going to affect what you're doing 10 years from now. What you are doing today, if you're 50, is going to affect how you're living 10 years from now when you're 60. What you're doing today, Ethan, is going to affect the quality of your life. How you prepare right now is going to affect the quality of your life tomorrow. You will be living out your dreams or you will be wondering what to do because of the kind and the quality of decisions that you make. begins by discovering and identifying the gifts that God has given you. And you say, Pastor, what is a gift? A gift is anything that I have that I can glorify God with. Anything that I have, I can glorify God with. Whether it's my marriage or my testimony or my talents or my education, whether it's my finances, whether it's my time, whether it's with my, the community I live in, anything that I have that I can glorify God with, that's a talent because everything I have, God has given to me. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that this morning? It's one of the reasons why I struggle with people who live so passively. And I'm not talking about a passive personality. I'm talking about people who live passively about life. I'm talking about the people who expect their children to live for Christ, but they're never in church. I talk about the people who expect their children to get a good education but they never check to be sure their kids are studying and passing their exams. I'm talking about the people who expect to get promoted but they never really get out and do the extra things that it takes to get promoted with. I'm talking about the people who sit around complaining about their jobs and hate their jobs but they never get the education or the cross training so they can change jobs with. Passivity is that part of the way we live our lives where somehow or another we think that if we sit in our lazy boys and watch television, then life is gonna come to us. There is something to be said when you read the book of Proverbs. There is something to be said that when you read every one of these parables, God God rewards the energetic. God rewards the enthusiastic. God rewards the diligent. As a matter of fact, the word of God says that he will prosper the hand of the diligent. Not the busybody, not the one- that's just trying to get out of work by being busy with something else. But the person that diligently applies himself to life, God said, I will bless them and I will prosper them. There is something to be said about being enthusiastic for Jesus Christ and beginning to prepare ourselves. So here's what I'd like to suggest to you. Number one, examine your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing today? Why do you do the things that you're doing right now? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter six, Serving God does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. Read that with me. Serving God does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. Now, stop. Now, you may think, I'm not a millionaire. I I, I don't even have $100,000. Maybe you don't have $1,000. But God says if you're satisfied with what you have, then you're rich. That doesn't mean you're satisfied with how you're using your gifts that means you're trusting God with what He's blessed you with. We brought nothing into this world so we can take nothing else. But if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. Those who want to become rich bring temptation to themselves and are called in trap. Now stop, God has nothing against riches. God says he will prosper you. The Bible is full of examples of how God blesses and how God prospers people that put him first in their life. God is not against riches. God says, but if you are seeking riches rather than seeking my glory, then you're going to fall into a trap. If you're seeking to become rich because you're thinking about your pride or you're thinking about the neighborhood you get to live in, I mean, guys, let me talk to you for just a moment. You and I know it's very important to us the kind of car we drive, the address that we have, if our kids are in the right school, if our kids are going to the right college. You and I are very concerned about everything because we want our buds to think we're successful. And we're always looking around, do my buddies think I've achieved? Do my buddies think I've done good? Do my buddies think I'm successful? It's not about what you're buddies think, it's about what God thinks. Because you will always have a buddy doing better than you are. I learned a long time ago when Becky and I were young, all of a sudden we found ourselves thrust into places and going places and doing things. And I remember one time Becky and I got privately jetted in and we landed and I looked at her and said, honey, we are in some tall cotton tonight. I hope they're not expecting us to pay. I remember another time we got picked up in a a swanky car, and we were picked up and we were driven somewhere, and I leaned over to Becky and I says, I'm gonna tell you, this scares me to death. She goes, Why? I says, Because I like this a lot. I said, I'd like to have a chauffeur. Do you know how much I could read and study and write if somebody just chauffeured me around? She looked at me and she said, Becky's always been so practical. She says, Don't get used to it, bud. You see, you're always going to find somebody that's more well-to-do than you. Enjoy the blessings that come your way, but don't seek after being rich. Seek after glorifying God with everything you have. So examine your motives. The second thing I'd say is seek wise counsel here. There are people in this church, there are people in this community that can give you good counsel and wise counsel. The Bible says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. You are who you hang out with. Okay? If you hang out with critical people, you're gonna be a critic. If you hang out with silly people, you're gonna be silly. If you hang out with foolish people, you're going to be foolish. But if you hang out with people who love God, it's going to be like putting (laughs) logs together and setting fire to it. The more I hang out with people who love Jesus, the more I love Jesus. And you know what? If you hang out with people that are smart and savvy, if you hang out with people who are wise and they know how to leverage what God has given them for his glory and honor, you will become like them. You will learn from them. Read it again with me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. Say it again. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. One of the great privileges of my life was when I was asked to come and serve on the board of the college that I went to. I told the student body the story I told you just a few moments ago, and the place went crazy, and I remember all the students who were laughing, and I remember I gave an altar call in the chapel service that morning, and said, if you're slacking, if you're floating, if you're just getting by, if you're hanging out with people that you know they're not energetically seeking God with all their hearts. I said, this is gonna cost you something because they're gonna look at you. They're gonna watch you. I'm asking you to come to this altar and I'm asking you to make a commitment. You're gonna walk with the wise and give God your best in everything. I don't know if it was peer pressure or if it was the Holy Spirit but there wasn't a single person left in that chapel that morning sitting in a pew, but we were packed out and praying around that altar. There is something, look at me, there is something in every one of us. We know we're gonna give an accounting to God, but we want to glorify Him with what God has given us. You were shaped to glorify God. I think we ought to give Him one more hand of praise for that this morning. Well, I've already talked about preparing, so just fill in that start preparing and let's move on because I really want to deal with this. My view of God then affects my stewardship of life. My view of God affects my stewardship of life. How big is God to you? How great is God to you? How powerful is God? Is He bigger than all your problems? Is He bigger than all your fears? Do you serve the God of the impossible? Jesus says, without me you can do anything, but as though he had to really get through to us, he said to me, he said to me, he said to you in his word, he says, with God, finish it with me, all things are possible. Do you believe that? With God, all things are possible. There is a dream and there is a vision in my heart that motivates and drives. The servant that had received two bags of silver came forward and says, Master, you gave me two bags to invest. I've earned two more. That's all God asks you to do, invest. Invest. Invest your life, invest your time, invest your spiritual gift, invest your talent, invest the brokenness of your life, invest the lessons that you've learned. God doesn't ask you to hoard them and save them. As a matter of fact, God says, if you will sow, if you will give, I will give you more. Oh, that was a little weak. If you sow, I will give you more. If you need energy, you need to sow some energy into somebody else's life. If you need time, you need to sow some time into somebody else's life. If you need joy, you need to sow some joy into somebody else's life. If you need hope, you need to sow hope into somebody else's life. If you need vision, you need to start casting vision into somebody else's life. For what you sow, you are going to reap. God is not going to disappoint. Somebody say amen this morning. you might better turn me down just a little bit when i'm loud to me i know i'm loud to you god looks at this art. this master looks and he says well done well done my good and faithful servant you've been faithful in handling this small amount so now i'll give you many more responsibilities let's celebrate together ben and i watched a concert by hans zimmer in prague one of my favorite cities in the world and what a tremendous, tremendous concert it was. It was almost like going to church. There was a choir and the band and musicians, so many musicians. But at the end of that concert in Prague, I watched this renowned composer do something that I've never seen a composer do. Everybody was lined up along the stage, and it has ended so energetically and enthusiastically. Ron, stand up. I always appreciate you being down front. Y'all stand up right there too, okay? You four ladies, stand up. He went along and he was... Doing that, and with the men, he was chest-bumping them, and he just kept going. Come on, get him up. He was just doing this. He was hugging. He was high-fiving them. Y'all can sit down. I looked at Ben. I said, Ben, that's church. Ben, that's heaven. When we get to heaven, God is going to say, well done, thou good. Can you imagine being chest-bumped by Jesus Christ? I mean, I sat there and I looked at Ben as a had This is church, this is a picture of what it's supposed to be like. God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the somberness of the Lord. Enter thou into the seriousness of the Lord. He says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah! Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. There is joy in serving Christ. There is joy in being a follower of Jesus Christ. But then there was this one servant that came along and says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What a liar. I mean, that's exactly, he was lying about his master. This man had trusted him. This man had given him Not as much as he gave the guy with five, and not as much as he gave the guy with two. But most scholars say this amount of money that he received was about a third of a year's income. He had entrusted him with a third of a year's income. And he goes, I knew you harvested where you didn't plant. You see, Luke gives us another part of this parable. When Luke tells the parable, he also brings in the fact that Jesus had enemies. He also brings in the fact that Jesus had people that were trying to undermine him. And I'm afraid that sometimes what God is saying to people who don't use their talents, don't use their resources, you may not realize it, but you're blaspheming my name. You're lying about my character and you're agreeing with your enemies, my enemies. He said, if I was all these things you just said, and I hear people say things about God all the time that aren't true. I hear people make accusations about God all the time that aren't true. How many of you know it's a lot easier to blame God than it is to blame us? How many of you know it's a lot easier to blame God than it is to blame the decisions that we've made, whether it's been politically, economically? It's a lot easier to blame God. And he says to them, if I was all these things, why didn't you at least take the talent? And why didn't you put it in the bank? Instead, you buried it. Why do people bury things? I spent a lot of time this week talking with someone And for the first time, we were able to pull some stuff out of them. They don't go to our church. And I said, as long as you keep burying this because you're afraid to face it, it's going to eat you up and it's going to affect everything you do. We bury things because of fear. We bury things because we want to forget. We bury things because we're ashamed. We bury things because we hope other people will forget it. And sometimes we bury things because we just don't want to think about it. And it's like this guy takes the bag of silver and just throws it before the Lord or toward the master and says, here, I don't want it. It's yours. God already knows it's his. The point is, God's trusted you with the life that he's given you. And you get to choose whether you're going to have a party or whether you're going to receive a harsh judgment. Now, listen, you get to choose whether or not you're going to have a party or you're going to have a harsh judgment. You say, Pastor, why does God do that? Because God wants me to learn to trust Him. God wants me to learn to trust Him. There's no trust without taking risk. There's no trust without taking risk. And risk doesn't mean being silly. I like... Phrase it this way, taking calculated risk. But I will tell you this, God would rather me take a risk than bury my talent. God would rather me risk losing it all than burying it. God would rather me take a trapeze and swing out. God would rather me take a risk and stretch. Because God says this in Isaiah 58:11, and put your name where it says you. The Lord will guide Dennis continually. The Lord will give Dennis water when he is dry. The Lord will restore Dennis' strength. The Lord will, I will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. God is saying to me, I don't have to be a superstar. I don't have to be a super anything. All I've got to do is be faithful to him and use what God has given me. He will water me. He will guide me. He will restore my strength. As a matter of fact, The joy of the Lord is my strength. The second thing he wants me to learn here is to keep my perspective clear. I don't have to be the best. I just have to do my best. Hello? I don't have to be the best. I just have to do my best. You know, it doesn't matter whether or not you're the best. It matters if you're doing your best. God is not going to compare you. God didn't compare the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy. God didn't compare the five-talent guy and the one-talent guy. God just simply says, do your best with what I've given you. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your enthusiasm. Don't become passive, but be energetic. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24, the best thing we can do is to enjoy eating, drinking, and working. I believe these are God's gift to us, and no one enjoys eating and drinking and living more than... And I do. Who can say amen to that? I can't wait after church. Rick, would you hand me that right there, please? Somebody knows me. I'm going to get fried chicken after church. This is what somebody bought me this morning. This is what, uh, where you, there you are, Kathy and Daryl Lynn bought me this this week. He says, you're just like fried chicken. You make everything better. So out of gratitude to y'all, I'm going to get fried chicken right after church. That didn't need to be up there. I'm fixing to pray in a few minutes. Turn that thing around. That's like food pornography right there. But the point is, I enjoy living. God wants you to enjoy living. Life is not supposed to be about getting by. Life is supposed to be about joy. I believe these are God's gifts to us, and no one enjoys eating, drinking, and living more than I do if we please God. If we please God, say it with me. If we please God, one more time. If we please God, he will make us wise, understanding, and happy. Somebody give him another hand of praise this morning. I had two little babies in my office this week. I watched them. When they get happy, they, they just start clapping like that. There's just something about joy. When you called me, or when Barb called me and told me that Heather had been healed of cancer, just a few weeks ago, there was no hope. She wasn't going to make it. She wasn't going to live. Barb flew out for her surgery. There was no hope. And now she's totally cancer-free. My question again to you is, how big is your God? Maybe you're bored. Maybe you're just bored with life. The reason you're bored is because you're not taking any risk. Maybe the reason you're bored is because you're not sewing into anybody else's life. Becky and I were talking just recently. We just started laughing. When people tell us they're bored, we have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> Boredom is a spiritual problem. I mean when you think about it boredom is a spiritual problem. But when you are living and using your life for the glory of God you don't have time to be bored. Amen. Everything is a joy. Well finally this morning you know this I use it or I lose it. What I do with my life has eternal significance. Yes. I've had 40 major surgeries. Yes. I've had a lot of physical problems. And yes, God has restored and healed me. But if I don't take care of that health, I'll lose that health. If I don't take care on Sundays, that's a day of celebration. I eat all the ice cream I want on Sunday. I eat all the fried chicken I want on Sunday. If I want a moon pie, I'll eat a moon pie on Sunday and I got to tell you something you ain't lived until you drank a Coca-Cola and ate a Moon Pie at the same time even never mind sometimes I wish we weren't taping even burping's fun when you eat a banana Moon Pie and drink a Coca-Cola but Monday through Saturday I give it my best Monday through Saturday that's a different story you live with an eternal significance. You live because you know you're going to spend eternity with God. In the first service, one of the men in the church put his arms around me. He's a big old retired police officer. The story of his life is pretty incredible and he just grabbed me with both arms. He says, Pastor, I look forward to spending eternity with you in heaven. I don't think anybody's ever said that to me before. I melted like butter. I mean, I know that's true. But I think that's the first time in my life anybody's ever just come up and said, I look forward to spending eternity in heaven with you. He got it. And I want you to get it. Because what you're doing today matters. And none of us have a promise tomorrow. If I refuse to exercise, I lose my health. If I refuse to think, my mind gets dull. If I refuse to dream, my vision gets dim. If I refuse to study, then my words get meaningless. Every one of us have something we have to do for the glory of God. God has given you, He's God's given me everything that I need. But when you get eternity in your mind, it it changes those gray days. Now don't miss because we had a very powerful moment in the first service right here. It changes those gray days. Two of Jesus' 12 disciples, they committed the very same sin. They both denied the Lord, Judas and Peter. Peter even blasphemed and swore against the Lord. And yet, because their view of God was so different, Judas started feeling sorry for himself. Judas started pitying himself and he went out and he hung himself. Peter, even though he had sinned terribly against God, did the same thing Judas did. He came to Christ and he repented. And God didn't beat him up. God didn't kick him around. God didn't tell him, you lousy worthless, useless servant. Jesus restored him. And Peter enthusiastically served the Lord by serving others. And left us with two powerful epistles. And the first half of the whole book of Acts is all about how God used a man who had failed him miserably. Stop looking at your past and start looking at your future. God makes everything brand new. God makes everything brand new. And God will take your failures and God will do something wonderful and glorious with every one of them. Now here's what I'd like you to do. This is is very important. I want you to take a communication card and I want you to not talk with anybody else, but take the communication card and I want you to write on their three abilities, talents, three things in life you know you can do For you know you can do it might be organizing it might be writing it might be singing it might be gardening it might be building I mean it might be accounting whatever it is everybody get a card and in that area where it says comment section do this, this is our altar call in that comment section I want you to write three things you know you can do you know that God has given you this ability. And I'll give you just a moment to write that down. Just three things. just a moment, I'm going to ask you to put those in the offering. I'm going to ask you to put your name and your email on there. And I want you to look at this quote on the screen. Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Lord, Let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I want you to look at those three strengths, those three things that you said you can do. Now I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want you to listen to one more short story. Those three things that you've just identified... Those are God's gifts to you. God gave a gift of incredible strength to a man named Samson. Samson could take the jawbone of a donkey and defeat an army. Samson could lift the gates off a city and carry them away. When you say the name of Samson today, People know exactly the story. Every boy knows the story you're talking about. But you've got enemies, and Christ has enemies in this world. Now close your eyes. I want you to listen, because I think the Lord is going to speak to you right here. And the enemy wants not to rob you of your strength. The enemy wants to take your strength and use it for his purposes. He doesn't care that God has blessed you with talents. He wants to take those talents and use them for his purposes. So Delilah wears him down and Samson gets to the point where Delilah keeps just wearing on him and wearing on him. Remember what the Bible says about you're going to be like who you walk with. And finally he says, go ahead, cut my hair. That was a violation of the commandment, the covenant God had given him. And when Delilah cut his hair, his enemies bound him, blinded him, and then bound him to a mill wheel. And he took the strength that God had given him to be a deliverer for Israel and he made the bread of his enemies. He ground the grain of his enemies. And those talents that you have, you can either glorify God with them, or you can use them for the enemy, or you can bury them. The question is, what are you going to do? I want you just to all pray with me. You can pray quietly and pray silently. Would you just say, Lord, thank you for whatever these three things are. Thank you for giving these to me. Whatever the talent, if you inherited resources, if you got an education, just go one by one and say, Lord, thank you. now would you just say God I want to use these for your glory and for your honor list them again one by one I want to use them for your glory and for your honor and then the third thing I'd like you to do I'd like you to say God I want to start today I don't know what that means for you. I can help you with that if you want help. But maybe you know what to do. If you don't know what to do, then as your pastor, I want to help you. I want you to get started on this journey. This is what prayer is. Now I want you to know that God says to you, He wants you to enjoy the gifts. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy your family, your food. If you're struggling in your marriage, that's not God's will for you. If you're struggling in your relationships, that's not God's will for you. God wants you to enjoy your life that doesn't mean there won't be relationship issues from time to time but God wants you to enjoy life God wants you to enjoy your work he wants you to enjoy the fruit of your work I believe God wants to bless you with a great vacation I believe that God wants to bless you with a day of rest each week I believe that God wants to bless your children. I believe that God wants you blessed and you're going in and you're coming out. I believe that God wants you to be the lender and not the borrower. I believe that God says that he will break every yoke and he will remove every bondage. I believe that God says that what you bind, you will come against the gates of hell and what you bind that Christ has already purchased for you, it will be bound and what you loose, it will be loosed as you pray according to the will of God. He wants you to enjoy it. But he also wants you to remember that when he returns, you and I are going to give an accounting. And I want that high five. I want that fist bump. I want that chest bump. (laughs) It's so much sooner for me today than it was 20 years ago. I want to hear that well-done, good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And if you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you've turned away from Him, you're not serving Him like you know you should, You know you're ready because right now you want to do that and that's the Holy Spirit dealing with you. Would you just pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for turning away from you. And today I welcome you into my life and I ask you to make me a brand new creation. And as much as I know how, I surrender my life to you in Jesus name. And everyone said, "Amen, and amen. Now I'm going to ask you to put those cards in the offering in just a minute, and if you put your name and your email on there, I'm going to send you something this week that I think will help you, and I'd like for you to be included in on that email, just like the people from the first service. So ushers, would you come, and I want us to stand and we're going to lift our offerings to the Lord and this morning, if you will, as well, we have an opportunity ahead of us right now that um, everybody's standing, if you would, out of respect and just as we get ready to give. The, we have the ability now to live stream our services. We've got people that are listening on the web to our Wednesday night services, our Sunday services. We need about $5,000 more to get the equipment that we need. To be able to live stream our Sunday morning and our Wednesday night services. This is going to help us, I believe, really multiply our outreach from Woodland. And so would you help us? If you're our guest today, I I see folks I don't know and this on this wintry morning, but please feel free. We're not putting any pressure on you. If you want to give, that's great. But I'm gonna ask you if you would, if you could give something extra. The Lord might even lay it on your heart to put a check in for five thousand dollars. That would be fantastic. You obey that. But God might just, if it's $5 or $10, I'd like to get this equipment purchased this week and get our live streaming up right away. And so if you would help us with that, I would appreciate it so very much. Help me get this done so that we can expand our outreach here at Woodland. Well, Lord, it's our joy to give, it's our joy to bring to you our tithes and our offerings. But in addition, Lord, it's our joy to present a part of ourselves. For every card that goes in this basket this morning, it's a saying, this is what God has given me. This is a way I know I can glorify God. And so I ask you, as we put these cards in the offering this morning, we will recognize that what we're doing is saying, God, here's the bag of silver that you've given me. It may be three, it may be two, it may be one but I want to use this for your glory and for your honor. Would you bless the intention with the strength and the knowledge and the willpower to follow up? And would you bless us as we try to help everybody follow up on their gifts? In Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen.